This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. From the ArmeniaProud.com studios. Genatsat Hayed. This is a toast to Armenia with Jono Kabinjian. A comprehensive look at the Armenian culture only on lineupmedia.fm. Genatsat, Genatsat, Pai Luis Inchpesek, my friends. Hey, folks, we got a great show for you. Two big guests on uh, Armenia Proud. And, uh, Today, I got to tell you, Brian, it's a big day for me. I know. It's a big day. Well, you don't know what I'm about to say. I know uh, it's a big day. Yeah, it's a big day. It's a Friday. Of course, you're going to be free tomorrow. Uh, but to me, today, I got my old town of Granite City, Illinois. Yeah. And they're honoring my football team that was 25, 30 years ago uh, into the Hall of Fame. Oh, Gran- wow. Granite City Hall of Fame. And I was the captain of that team. Nice. I'm like Al Bundy now. <laughs> but uh I'm I'm really proud of it. Uh I mean uh, it was uh it was it was really historical. We beat the yeah. number one team number in one the team. country. I know, we I've heard this story yeah. numerous times. Well you're gonna hear it again now. <laughs> and uh and now this town, Granite City, is honoring us by putting us in the Hall of Fame. So it's a beautiful yeah. day. I I got these interviews and then I gotta take off home, get my uh, uh, suit ready and, uh, you know, make some magic. I'm well, already gra- get, getting ready for my speech and all that stuff. Well, congratulations to you and your team. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Brian, you do know we are friends with Arm Comedy. Yes. And we did have Narik Margarian on our show. Mm-hmm. And now we're thrilled to have the other half of Arm Comedy, yeah. and that's uh, Sergey Sargsyan. How are you, my friend? Hello, hello. I'm fine, and I feel like I've been looking forward to this day all my life, so thank you for having me. Wow, all your life you've been looking forward to this show, huh? Yes. <laughs> I wish all our <laughs> fans were like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so how so, are yeah. you, Fire? How's everything in Armenia? I'm doing good. Armenia is fine. Things are uh, getting closer to Christmas so people are getting into that special mood, and uh, and that doesn't really reflect on politics. Politics remains as as funny as always. Right, right. Now let me ask you: in uh, in Hayastan, right now in our America, they put up the Christmas trees, they put up the lights right now, and we're like two months away still. It, it, how is it in Armenia? It, it, do you guys? put all this up like a couple weeks before or are you guys in that festive mode now as well well we have been following that craze that has been picking up and with every year it seems like they're pushing that the threshold a bit closer you know uh, and here no they haven't started that good yet. good i like that but yeah it's, it starts sometime in december but even that we think that's pretty early because it used to be I like know. second part of december at some point and then suddenly you know, it's it's November, and one thing leads to another, and there are lights everywhere, and, and cheer, the goddamn cheer everywhere. Oh, it's unreal. It's unreal. And you know what I say that to? It's all about commercializing. They want to make more money, more money, and they bring on Christmas and everything like that. I'm glad Armenia still still on the threshold of not doing that. I, I like the way we are. 
That's right. We're standing our ground firmly <laughs> for now, yeah. <laughs> keeping the L's out, keeping Santa out. We are strong Armenians. Uh, how did you guys come up with this armed comedy? Because even in the middle of the United States, in St. Louis, Missouri, we watch you guys on YouTube and we love it. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, the thing is that, you know, some sometimes when you watch something cool from across the ocean, you know, uh, you think... Why should why shouldn't we in Armenia have a political satire show that would energize people and get them to things about um, decision makers, the stuff that matters through through comedy? And we've right. been watching a lot of American shows, The Daily Show, and uh, one thing led to another. Narek and I got together and thought we could start something like that, like that here. And turns out, guess what? Yeah, people wanted that. There was a niche for that, so we went for it and filled that niche. It's it's beautiful because you know what it really shows the freedom of America, freedom of Armenia to to do something like this. Now you go six, seven hundred miles, eight hundred miles to your east or your west, and you can't do anything like that because they'll put you in prison or something like that. So, God bless. You know, as much as uh, we take shots at our governments and stuff, we still have the opportunity to get up there and make fun of politics and make fun of the governments as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we like to mention this, that in in post-Soviet area, we're uh, one of the only countries where you can actually not just joke about politics, not just have a national TV-based uh, political satire program, but actually influence, influence decision-making. Because... In countries like Armenia, you know, people, um, when they see politicians, they see themselves in a comedy show, it uh, puts a pressure on them. It's a public pressure, and it's it's a matter of even, like, by mild shaming, they, they can be shamed into better behavior. <laughs> yeah. So by laughing at some of the funny behavior, they you discipline them and basically put them, you know, under some kind of public control. Well, on that note, too, you make you make uh humor out of it instead of picking up some something to where you're going to get into violence or anything like that in in this way you influence them by laughter which is great idea really i mean how many people uh how many people say uh, you know what i hate him i hate... but now you guys take it to a point to where it's it's kind of like fun humor and even on the other side they say, you know what, that was funny. That was funny. So, you know, it's it's a brilliant idea, and uh, I'm glad you guys are very good with it. And uh, has this also thrown uh, a little uh, wrench into the machine, you might say, by you've ostracized one group? I mean, uh, d does all of Armenia get into this, or uh, is there like half that say, you know what, I just I can't get into that? You mean like uh, political satire? Yeah, or, political or satire. I mean, you're well, kind of going are... half and half on it. Yeah, well, uh, there used to be a time like like 10 years ago or something that th this would be like outlandish to have any critical satiric type of outlet here. But then uh, as we started uh, and then with YouTube and Facebook growth, more and more people are resorting to satire to to prank the government to uh, create memes and all kinds of internet-based viral videos about the government mm -hmm. but uh, we're trying to keep it systematic so that you know there's a systemic uh, uh, system of checks and balances <laughs> that is uh, satirically controlling 
you know, the government decision makers. And uh, and the, the good thing is that uh, my favorite thing is watching how people from across the board, like uh, opposition and uh, and even people from the government also tuning in and, and liking some of the stuff and also drawing conclusions from that and then debating some of the things that we yeah. bring into public discourse, including budget or some of the things like recently there was a uh, there are some things related to one ministry, uh, ecology ministry. And, uh, you know, by in, in a country like this, when you bring some public pressure, some light on a thing, it gets into public debate right. and you can't just, you know, shun it. You have to find a solution to that. So right. we're, we're really happy that uh, we're being a part of, uh, you know, generating public discourse and uh, following up till some kind of solution. Even sometimes we're not happy with it, but, you know, at least we're getting things moving in the direction. Uh, now, Sergey, we're going to back it up a little bit. Did you and uh, Nautic, did you guys go to school together? Yes, uh, we went to the uh, to the linguistics university together. Uh, we studied English. <laughs> And uh, yeah, we, he he liked Elvis. I liked the Beatles, but we both <laughs> liked the Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, we we still do too here. Yeah, and uh, so that brought us together. Yeah. And uh, you know, we started doing little skits. Then we did some stand up for a while at one of the clubs here. Then we found this. Uh, first, we found the uh, theonion.com, the American Satiric Journal online. Right. We really liked that. We started doing satiric articles. Then we discovered George Carlin, some comedians. We did some of that kind of. Uh, well, now you see you know, George events. Carlin. George Carlin is, uh, I mean, it's sophisticated uh, comedy. I mean, he makes you really think about it. And when you're hearing oh, it, yeah. you, and when you hear it, you go, wow, he's right. Uh, that whole thing with the. Uh, Everything is bullshit. (laughs) I mean, he says that, and it's uh, so right about all politicians keep saying bullshit, and uh, people buy into it. So, uh, yeah, that's that's great stuff. Yeah, Uh, we we think he's a political philosopher here. Oh yeah, even even (laughs) not so much a comedian as much a political philosopher, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, did was this the first thing that you guys? came up with uh or was there something else that in school that you guys thought of uh besides comedy uh well we like i said we were uh both into music and uh there were some music related things we tried we tried really tried hard to experiment with rock and roll with we did a rock band but turned out eventually we were kind of tone deaf (laughs) (laughs) So we thought, okay, we might as well just laugh at ourselves and just, you know, go, what do you do when you can't sing? You just go to comedy. So (laughs) we opted, (laughs) we found that easy way out of there. Do you like performing in front of uh, live people or the camera more? Oh, I, uh, I really, really miss the live audiences, but because the studio uh, technically and in terms of equipment, uh, at the pace that we're doing, we do we produce three shows a week, which is a lot. And uh, with a uh, with a live audience, it would be like twice as hard for the studio. So we're we're missing out on the live studio, and that's why we have to do once a year or so uh, a separate show on stage just to have that feedback. And uh, that's very rewarding because you feel seeing people's reactions is very important. So. Yes, people, more people. That's what we miss right now. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm uh, I'm in a dark little studio here with my trusty buddy Brian, so I know exactly <laughs> what you're saying. Uh, yeah. But I meant more or less like uh, stand-up comedy. Do do you miss that, the, or do you guys even still do that? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, a lot of ideas we pile up that is more for stand-up uh, format. So we throw a show about once a year. We were actually planning to do it this November, but then you know we got busy and uh, some other things turned up. So we moved it to March. We do. We are going to do a stand-up show in March, and. Um, uh, and yes, we we really want to do as many as we like. And we did actually tour around around U.S. last year. It was a stand-up tour. That's the the one where we got to meet. Uh, oh yeah, uh, Conan O'Brien again. Wow. <laughs> After that one time in Armenia, it was it, it's, it's funny how these things work. Yeah, he was here. He was on our show. Then we went there. We went. We were on his show, and uh, we we feel very lucky about that. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, you guys. Uh, I don't know if that. We were watching you guys before that with arm comedy and all that, but that had to, that had to galvanize your show. That I mean, that had to help you guys out big time, having Conan. Oh yeah, and he's he's like on top of the world here. I mean, we we just uh, love watching him, and uh, it's just that little humor, just watching his face and all that. It's perfect Armenian comedy almost. Yeah, well, uh, he's one of the big ones. Yeah, we love that. And actually, after that, uh, you know, there was this other initiative, uh, One Armenia, a great organization uh, linking diaspora in Armenia, doing some great projects here. They said, you guys, you do some comedy in English, you speak English. Why don't you do a show for people who are interested in Armenia, for the Armenian diaspora in, in English? And uh, now we're starting this project and we're very excited to, you know, uh, get into this new market, the, the English-speaking American, you guys, actually, to link you guys more to Armenia and all things important and going on around here. So we'll I would see love how that this. works for you. <laughs> I, would, I would love this because I tell you what, uh, I'm in the room with uh, all Hayastansis, and they, oh, get, yeah. they get your humor all the time. I go more on the facial expressions that you uh, that you give out more, and uh, I just laugh along when everyone laughs. But uh, you know, if if I catch on to more what you guys are saying, I know I'll be more interested in it as well. Well, Jono, my friend, just hang in there. We're coming <laughs> for you. Okay, it's That's gonna be called. Great. It, I, actually, we kicked it off. We have one episode already, and uh, it's called the Spurk Report. And we're doing it with one Armenia, and we're very excited because it's gonna it's gonna uh, get people like you on board on the of the big ship called Armenia. Oh, I can't How wait! How poetic is that, huh? <laughs> I can't wait because you know what? This is what the show is about: trying to keep our Armenian. And I talk English. I know that, and I've I've been criticized by so many throughout the. Armenian lands by hey why can't you do it in Armenian well you know what I'm not good in Armenian I my Armenian's a half mm. uh, half ass Armenian uh, with a, a little bit of American involved in it so you know what I I do like this so Armenians in the West can understand a little bit about the Sergeys out there and the Nordics out there and all the Armenians that I've interviewed so I think it's productive. Yeah, well, uh, we think there is a lot of uh, room uh, and uh, there is a great demand for that because I think there are especially the new generations of Armenians who are interested and enthusiastic about Armenia. But, you know, they need a bridge uh, kind of uh, not just linguistic, but also cultural bridge 
We're going to use a lot of cultural references and show that in Armenia, we also have a Mitch McConnell. We have all the kind of Twitter bombs that Trump is doing and uh, uh, a lot of parallels that we're going to draw are, are going to be based on American cultural and political references. Mm -hmm. that's, why, that's how we're going to link you guys <laughs> to what's going on here and make it clearer you know what's happening here and you're still going to have the armenian armenian show as well right oh yes don't Both worry shows. yeah yeah <laughs> well i gotta make my wife happy i my wife and her <laughs> friends are my wife's armenian from armenia and uh i'm a lebanese armenian and i i'm now starting to get the old armenia from armenia i'm telling you you uh -huh. guys you guys when you're sitting around the barbecue cooking outside there is so much that we eat that when we sit at the table, I'm already stuffed. I'm already stuffed, and I'm half uh, alcohol is in me every every time. A little shish kebab or a little uh, kebab here, and a little vodka shot. And by the time we sit down, I'm toasted. So well, I I don't know why you brought it up, but brought it up. But I'm really hungry right now. So <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I want to have a barbecue right now. Yeah. It's what eight thirty, nine o'clock there in Armenia right now. Yes, and I was really planning to not have any more food today. <laughs> Come and on, you ruined it's still it. Early. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know what? So this project, uh, you guys did one episode, and when's this go yes. going to get out to the public? Well, we put it on um, uh, online uh, last week, so it's pretty much in public, and uh, a, a public like PR campaign is on the way, and we're going to do at least once a month. And uh, the idea is that at some point it's going to be, you know, the go-to show to find out what's going on in Armenia for not just uh, American Armenians, but anyone around the world who is interested in Armenia and who, you know, and not just Armenia. We're going to do a lot of regional stuff, Russia, Georgia, Turkey, you know, it's a pretty, <clears throat> pretty mixed neighborhood. And there's a lot to make sense uh, of it. There's a lot of room to talk about here. Now, when you do it in English... I know that Armenian comedy is kind of different if you say it in the same uh, way you would say it in English. It may not come out that funny. And uh, so is that something that you guys have to converse around as well? Yes, it's all about culture. And for that, we had to spend uh, a whole summer in New Hampshire absorbing all levels <laughs> of Hampshire. the U.S. culture, working with the working class folks there to, you know, to understand <laughs> how, you know, people perceive things, how people like their news served, you know, with extra spice or, or just uh, just salty or medium rare or whatever. <laughs> so we're going to serve it just the way that we know American palate is prepared for. Right. Well, how did we pick the Mecca being New Hampshire? Uh, well, it's it just... Okay, the short answer, we really like the slogan, uh, live free or die. Sounds very Dushnak to us. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Uh, but also, there were it, these things are happening randomly. Uh, there was a program, Work and Travel, they would take students for a summer to work and travel, but mainly to work, actually, because, you know, when you're thrown into America for a limited amount of time and you're a student mm. and you have to pay for a bunch of loans, you just work. Yeah. So it was a good working and, you know, getting to know uh, America from this working side. It, it was a great experience and um, also good for the language. And will we, you take we speak this... some English now? Yeah. It, you you're, you guys are great, by the way. You guys talk great. And uh, 
Are you going to take this on the road as well, or is this all going to be based uh, out of Armenia? Uh, well, actually, we have been discussing uh, some plans to do reportage and some trips uh, out of Armenia. But uh, let's just let's just get started. Let's not ju- let's right. not jinx it. It's it's starting really nice. And hopefully there will be – and I mean there is a lot of potential. I think Americans would be interested to see uh, Armenians discovering some parts of Moscow, just randomly walking around, asking some uh, questions of interest, looking for the PP tape around Moscow here and there, you know, that kind of stuff that uh, the, the U.S. media is talking about, that the fake media is talking yeah, about. Yeah, well, we can, that's, uh, that's that. plenty of that here in the United States now. Uh so uh, you guys, you guys have already done your first episode, and uh, uh-huh. and now uh, the second one is coming up. What I'd like to do every time that you guys come up with an episode, why not have it on uh, Toast to Armenia, and we'll also put it on uh, Armenia Proud as well. I think uh, people will get get to know it a little bit better too. I I can't get enough of hearing this. Yes, let's do that. Yeah. Absolutely, I love yeah. it. Of course, yeah. yeah the more, not? the more publicity, the more good people hear about good stuff, the happier they will be, and we will be. Well, and Sergei, the world will be as one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the thing with our show is it's all catered to American Armenians that speak English. So uh, this would be ideal. This would be uh, a little, uh, you know, like the door opening. You might say if something like that happens to where people listens to. Listen to your show and watch it on uh, on our. Uh, we'll just have a thread through it, so it'll be working out just great well, then. That's so great. Let's call this a start of a beautiful friendship then. <laughs> I, I thought it was a beautiful friendship. I, I thought I was a <laughs> part of arm comedy. Now Nautic told me uh, when I get the highest on, he wouldn't mind having Jono on the show. <laughs> well, it's. Well, the thing is, you started talking with Narek first. Now, now you have to make it up with me. <laughs> I, I, I so got yeah, next I got we'll past the first audition, huh? Oh yes, yes. <laughs> There's it's a multi-tier, uh, you know, probation <laughs> test that you are passing. You passed. Well, good, good. I'll be. Uh, I think for sure I will be coming next summer with the family. But in spring, I I think I may be coming out there again. So. You never know. I love to hook up with you guys, and uh, it's it's great. You folks, if you haven't checked out Arm Comedy, and now it's coming out something. And what what's it being called again? The Spurk Report. Okay, and that will be on our. We'll have that on our site too. I'll get it from these guys, and uh, we'll put this yes. out on our site. And uh, you know what? It, it's great. And uh, people that watch Arm Comedy, it's funny as hell. And uh, Everything's satire. And the thing about it, I got to say, Sergey, what you guys do, yeah. what you guys do also that uh, I, I'm really proud to say that this is a good show on the sense that, you know, when people are down, when people uh, are not, you know, on the positive end, your show know, at least puts a smile on people's face and uh, and they, they get through the day is what I'm saying. Yeah, look. That, that's right. Uh, I mean, look, Jono, there's depression all around. Wherever you look at the news, it's there's a lot of depressing stuff, negative stuff there. And we're just trying to keep people informed, but also entertained and, you know, just to 
blow over the depression to to get over the depression basically because you know being uh, optimistic is healthier than pessimistic and depressed all the time right you're right you're right and uh armenia i mean it always seems like uh uh we're behind an eight ball but the people are always uh happy the people uh always seem to rise when the, there's negativity and it always takes people like you guys that make it possible. So I appreciate it, and so does the uh, rest of the Armenian world out there as well. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Jono. Uh, Sergey, again, how do people find you guys on the social media? Oh, uh, we're very uh, Googleable, Google-friendly. You just can Google Arm Comedy, you know, Arm Comedy English, uh, or Spurk Report. Uh, this is, Spurk is diaspora, Armenian you know, kind of, we try to spell have that? an Armenian zinc there. Huh? Sp- How do you spell that uh, for S-P- them to look it up? Mm-hmm. S-P-Y-U-R-K. P-Y-U-R-K. U-R-K. Spurk. Okay, I got it. I got it. Spurk Report. Mm-hmm. All right. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So okay. we're going to see once a month on these now? Yes. All right. All right. I can't I can't wait to watch it. I can't wait to invite my Armenian friends over and uh we'll do some uh kebabs and we'll uh get the vodka out and watch you guys. Uh, you guys are enjoyable and you guys make a good hour to 2 hours very it goes by so fast when you watch arm comedy, my friends. <laughs> Thank you. So. Thank you. All right, Sergey. Thank you so much, Yechbar, and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Any other projects that you guys are working on? Well, I can't open all the cards, but you know we're always in search of new projects. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. We'll keep you posted for the during the next postcard podcasts. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. I'm definitely I'm definitely down with that, and uh, hopefully uh, we could meet up uh, next year too when I make my way to Armenia. So we'll have a great yes, time. Yes. I'll make sure you get the best barbecue here, okay? <laughs> uh, yeah, and and you know what's great about that? Because once I get to the table, the, I tell the wife I'm on a diet. And <laughs> and she she says, wow, he's not eating that much. I ate outside <laughs> with all the lavash with the meat and everything. I, I'm in great shape. So feed me outside. Don't feed me at the dining room table. So anyway. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take that in town. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> That's a little okay. bit. All right, thank you so much, Sergey. You have okay. a beautiful night, and uh, and we'll stay in touch. Okay, have a great day. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. Bye, folks. That was Sergey Sargsyan, and that was Arm Comedy. And these two, I'm telling you, Brian, these two always make me laugh. They always cheer me up. And uh, I, I, you know, I didn't get, I didn't, I feel like I didn't cover too much with Sergey. But you know what? It was, it was a fun interview. It was a great interview. Thank yeah, you. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you. Makes me want to listen. Well, I hope you listen. I hope you listen to these shows. And, uh, folks, I hope that when you're out there listening to the show, you're also buying something from Amazon through ArmeniaProud.com. Once you go to ArmeniaProud.com, on your right-hand side, you'll see Amazon. We're getting close to holidays now. You got big sales going on at Amazon. Why not buy something through ArmeniaProud.com? You go to our site, and on the right-hand side, you'll see Amazon. Click on it and shop away. It helps me out. Well, don't you want to help me out? Everyone should help me out <laughs> listening to this show. If you're going to buy anything from Amazon, go through ArmeniaProud.com 
and click on Amazon. You won't see me again. You won't see ArmeniaProud.com anymore, and you just shop away, and we get a little love back from Amazon. Keeps the lights on. Yes, it does. Hey, Brian, our next segment is a segment that people love. People, I've, I've been asking for you've this You've been asking for again. us. I know, I know. And uh, Danny's been on tour, and uh, finally he's back. And uh, it's great having this guy because we learn a little bit about Armenian history. And he's not so just Armenian. Smart. Not just Armenian history. It kind of like uh, reflects on other histories as well, and it stems to Armenia. So, yes. Danny, Danny Bedrosian, glad to have you back, my friend. Oh, glad to be back with you guys. Thank you, John. Oh, thank you, Brian. So glad to be back. Hey, and uh, Danny, you've been on on tour, right? Yeah, we just uh, we just got off of our last uh, P-Funk tour. We were just all over the U.S. and all over Australia and Bali and Indonesia and uh, just played up and down the West Coast and the East Coast and the Midwest and all over the place. And so we've been gone for uh, several months. So we're glad to be back and uh, glad to be back talking to you guys. And did did you get that jet lag coming from Australia, the United States, and all that? I mean, Every the time. time zones are crazy, man. They are crazy, and a lot of times we end up living a couple of days over over and over again. So it's like uh, the way <laughs> we age. the way we flew back. We we lived the first, and then the second, and then we flew back to Hong Kong and lived the first again, and then flew to the U.S. and lived the second again. So. It was like multiple days over and over again. It was pretty interesting. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So in Australia now, they is it summertime? In Australia now, it is the end of, what is it? Oh, see, now you got me. It's uh, all right. I forgot my producer's name a couple minutes ago, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so Danny, uh, I'll tell you, like I said, uh, like I introduced you, uh, there's so many people that say, you know what, where's the Danny Bedrosian uh, history segment? We want to hear about it. What do you got for us, Danny? Well, today I wanted to uh, introduce a segment that's very near and dear to my heart. It deals with the origins of the Armenians. It's a topic that um, was always very interesting to me. It was one of my main concentrations, concentrations in Armenian history, and I've been compiling a book about the sort of jumbled origins of the proto-Armenian tribes. For several years I've been working on this, and so it's something that's uh, very interesting to me, and I, I want to uh, focus on one specific area of Armenian origins today. Uh, but first, making it a little interactive, I wanted to ask you, Jono, what did you hear from your elders um, or from other Armenians about where the Armenians were supposed to have come from? Well, obviously, uh, we always think of uh uh, you know, Mount Ararat, and uh, you mm-hmm. know, in history classes when I was, you know, in high school and all that, uh, they always brought up we were descendants of the Hittites, and uh, you know, I didn't know too much about the Hittites, but they're they're known for metal and all that. But you know, it's it's in that area, and of course, everything is focused around uh, Mount Ararat, and uh, that's where right. we descended. So that that's as much as I know on that. Right. I'm glad that you said those answers because those are those are the sort of the primeval answers that we get from within the community. And um, I think that even up until the 20th century, that was the most common um, explanation for the Armenians' origins. Of course, also the the semi-legendary data that we have about Armenians descending from the patriarch Hike and Hike defeating Bell and all these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, that's right. right. Um, so. In, in, in the latter half of the 20th century, uh, European historians started coming to the theory 
but supported by ancient Greek text, uh, that the Armenians came from this, what's called the Thraco-Phrygian theory. It's basically a theory that postulates that the Armenians are either Phrygians themselves or came over with the massive waves of migration that the Phrygians were a part of, coming from Thrace in uh, southeastern Europe uh, into Asia Minor. And uh, I'm going to just say a couple of the the quotes and some of the things other historians have said about it, starting with the father of history, a very often quoted passage of Herodotus, who lived um, around the 4th century BC. Uh, He said, uh, the Armenians were equipped like the Phrygians, being indeed colonists of the Phrygians. Um, And then it goes on to say that the commander of both of those regiments was the same guy, and he commanded both regiments, which is supposed to be a an indicator of some kind that the that the Armenians and the Phrygians are somewhat the same. Uh, Strabo, who's another uh, um, historian from from later around that time, also seems to borrow Herodotus's concept on this. Um, Eudoxus, who is an even older historian, Greek historian, says that the Armenians are a tribe from Phrygia. Um, now, where is Phrygia? Well, Phrygia is a country that obviously doesn't exist anymore, uh, but it is in what is today central Turkey. Um, and uh, knowing what we know about historic Armenia, that is Western Armenia, uh, we know that Western Armenia itself is basically forms a, a large correspondence with what is today Eastern Turkey. Uh, Phrygia would be just west of there, so it would be along the western borders of Western Armenia, around the Aratsani River, which is now in Eastern Turkey. Um, the Phrygians themselves were believed to have come from the Balkan Peninsula in southeastern Europe, around the area where Bulgaria. Um, now exists. At that time, it was called Thrace. Uh, That's why they call it the Thraco-Phrygian theory. Um, Several European historians and later American historians have found this evidence supportable using linguistic data and uh, data from pottery finds, archaeological digs. A number of European and American historians were uh, were very assured that that this theory to, were true, that the Armenians came from Southeast Europe. A French historian named Jean Marcard uh, believed that the Armenians reached the Armenian uh, highland around between the 10th and 6th centuries BC. Um, an American historian of Armenian studies, James Russell, uh, postulates around 1500 BC, the Phrygians and Armenians crossed Southeastern Europe into Anatolia, and that the Armenians represent the group that moved the furthest east. Um, Again, a lot of these guys were using pottery as uh, a means to denote the, the movements of yeah. these. Yeah, and a lot of this is a, a pottery type that's known as the the um, the black ware. It's like a black uh, a black pottery type that existed in um, in Anatolia. You know, uh, during the pre during the the Hittite period and the post Hittite period. Um, but. Uh, uh, Karen Bartle, who is an, another historian and an expert on this stuff, uh, she stated that uh, a lot of the late Bronze Age to early Iron Age um, pottery bears no connections with Phrygians or Indo-European migrations. We know that Armenian, the Armenian language is a, is a basically Indo-European language, meaning it comes from the broad series of languages that exist between Iceland and Bangladesh, a very large linguistic um, group and area that has varied and changed multiple, multiple times over the years. And uh, in no ways can a language necessarily equate an ethnic group either. Very often languages are replaced and changed over in just a period of one generation. So 
uh, it's not easy to just equ- quickly equate one group with another group so easily, but a lot of times they're using linguistics to connect the Phrygians and the Armenians. They see some uh, syllogisms that are similar between Phrygian, which is a dead language, it died around the 5th century AD, and Armenian, which obviously still exists. Um, hey, uh, but they see... Danny, Go I, I got I to gotta ask you, though, now this totally, totally contradicts the entire Armenian belief in the well, whole yeah. Mount Ararat, and that is right. the sacred mount. I mean, this kind of makes it like we've come from uh, basically uh, from Europe. From Europe, right. So I'm not going to state my opinion on this quite yet, because first I just want to give you the sort of historiographical you. background. But um, uh, going on with the pottery information that we have, uh, another historian, this time one from Armenia, Aram Kosyan, uh, said that the creators of this new pottery don't seem to be from one race, but many different tribes of a given ethnocultural mass. Um, Another historian, a good friend of mine, actually, Levon Avdoyan, who uh, runs the Armenian collection in the Near Eastern and and African Studies Division of the Library of Congress, um, quoted that he asked um, rhetorically, is it possible for the Phrygians to have marched into Armenia and and taken over? And if that were so, wouldn't we be speaking Phrygian today? Um, All of these things have been hotly debated throughout the latter half of the 20th century. Um, It's interesting because a lot of the information regarding the Armenians as coming from Europe seems to come from Greek sources that that are talk about the Armenians being like the Phrygians. But it's important to note that the idea of these, you have to assume that the Phrygians also came from Europe. And even this is a theory and not necessarily fact. We know that there are groups called the Bridges on the European side. They believe when they came over, they switched from a B to a P and became Phrygians, from Bridgians to Phrygians, they Mm. think. Um, But there's also another tribe that's very important in all of these connections, and that tribe is called the Mushki. The Mushki were a tribe that seemed to have been battling the Assyrian Empire around 1150 BC, which is around the time after what they call the... um, the arrivals of the Sea Peoples are basically the Dark Ages in the Near East. Um, these people, the Mushki, uh, apparently seem to have been beaten back by the Assyrians and their king, Mita, who we know of as the Phrygian Midas, Midas and the Golden Touch. Um, this, this tribal leader, Mita, was beaten back and then eventually became an ally of the Assyrians. Um, the important thing, though, about this, and Mushki seems to be the term that the Assyrians used to, to call the Phrygians, that the term Phrygian is more Greek, and therefore the Assyrians wouldn't have used it. They used the term Mushki. Mushki is really important, too, when, when reconciled with Armenian sources, because we know of the land Mush, which was in Tehran, which is uh, western Armenia, right. and um, Mush itself is a very Armenian sort of prefix. It is found in various places in historic and modern Armenia, and even the term the Georgians call us, uh, they call us Somehi, that's the, uh, that's the Georgian term for Armenian. It even has a remnant of that term Mushki in there, it is believed, on linguistic terms. Um, however, to equate the Mushkis with necessarily Phrygians or even with European colonists, is is stretching it. it. It could they could very well be the Phrygians, but that the Phrygians come from Europe or that this tribe, the Mushki, comes from Europe, is still not a lot of definite evidence. Um, a lot of historians today are starting to say that they see less of a Balkan connection for the Mushki and more of a connection with Central Anatolia, which is where you find them in the first place. 
um, which is also where the kingdom of Phrygia is. It is pretty much believed that Mushki and these eastern Phrygians are essentially the same people. They're just different names called of the same people by different people. Um, the important thing, though, is that the Mushki end up, they end up being around the Armenian highland during this period, and they seem to eventually assimilate with local tribes. Um, the, the deal with the Greek sources calling Armenians Phrygian colonists is, is, a, is a harder um, situation to really reconcile with. And, and really, the problem with it is the fact that the Greeks, most of the Greeks' information about the peoples of the East come from the people closer to them. So the Phrygians basically live in between the Anatolians and the Armenians at this time. So if you're going from west to east from the Mediterranean, you're looking at Greeks, well, then Anatolians, then Phrygians, then Armenians. Well, let me ask and, you this real quick. Uh, I, I'm jumping in because I, I, I'll forget this. If, if they're talking about that, wouldn't that be the Byzantium Empire that was part of the Byzantium? I mean, that's where they that, – that was their state. That was yeah. There was much. There's, well, there's some connection to that, but that's much later. And, uh, and the term, the Byzantine term, wasn't used by historians until much later after the Byzantine Empire was gone. Okay. In the days of the Byzantine Empire, they just called it Eastern Roman Empire back in those days. Um, but it does. You are right that it corresponds to the same geographic area, but just in a very a much later time. Um, but uh, the Greeks themselves were kind of fuzzy on information about peoples of the East, you got to keep in mind this is way before Alexander the Great. And so most of their information was taken um, second, third-hand sources, and oftentimes from people who didn't necessarily travel there. They may have traveled to peripheral regions, but not to the actual lands themselves that were in question. Um, people using Herodotus as like a an ed, beginning and end all of all information, you have to remember that he also talked about people who lived on islands who had... Um, you know, four heads and uh, and right. and monsters and and all kinds of other stuff. So you have to keep in mind that it has to go with the legitimacy of the times. Um, right. But also, the idea of Phrygian colonists may not even mean that they came from Phrygia. It may not even mean that they were Phrygian. It could just mean that they were colonists in Phrygia and that they themselves were another people, i.e., the Armenians themselves. There's also all kinds of sources that seem to pre. Uh, pre be precursors to these Greek sources that mention groups with the names Hayasa, Arme, Urmians, uh, all different versions of proto-Armenian terms that go way before this so-called migration from Europe. So it's really controversial. There's a lot. It's, it's, it basically has split historiography in the 20th century between people who believed um, the Armenians were migrants from Europe and the people who believed in the in what may or may not be considered the older theory um, of Armenians being from the highland itself. Hmm. Now, uh, we tried pottery, linguistics, all these things. None of them are none of them are really um, tenuous enough to, you know, to really to really give you a premise that's 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 definitely true. Um, the oftentimes it's never as easy as black and white. Oftentimes it's the gray area to which we can ascribe the most historiography and the most truth in historiography. There probably were some tribes that came over from the Hellespont 
from Europe into Asia Minor because it seems that people were moving back and forth all along the course of history through that area, not just in one time or another and not in just in one direction. So there can be some evidence to support such a thing. There's also some linguistic evidence with place names. But when you start taking linguistic evidence with place names, you can almost assert almost any theory you wish to assert because you can find almost anywhere a place that sounds like the name of another place and ascribe a linguistic or, or dare be it like an ethnic connotation to that place. It can be very dangerous in historiography because it can be very inaccurate. Right. Um, what we found in, in the end, in, in going into the 21st century, is thankfully we now have two new ways of sort of looking at this, this issue. One is through um, DNA, modern DNA of human beings, and, and finding out what DNA groups modern Armenians belong to, and if there's any correspondence to, say, the Balkans. The other way to do it is through what's called ADNA, which is ancient DNA. And there's less of this around and it's harder to get. But in just re- last year or so, a number of Eurasian mummies, that is mummies spread all over Europe and Asia and the Middle East, um, have been tested for their ADNA. And um, they have found some really surprising results that many of these people, whether they be in Russia or Mongolia or ancient Armenia or in the Balkans, tend to have some kind of correspondence to some kind of modern people. So this is good news for histor- historiography and for, and for um, DNA studies, because now we're able to connect people from this time to the modern time and see who comes from where and who, who descends from what. Um, it appears that the Phrygian or Thraco-Phrygian type of haplogroup to which we are ascribing the Phrygians is a group that's known as I2C. And really the, the letter and number combination doesn't necessarily matter for this study, but it's just the name of a haplogroup that we believe to be the, the key Thraco-Phrygian haplogroup um, based on these ADNA finds and based on modern finds in the Balkans. Um, what's interesting, though, is that although some Armenians do belong to this group, it's one of the most insignificant groups for Armenians. In other words, it exists, but in very, very, very small numbers. Mm. Maybe, as, maybe as small as less than 2% of modern Armenians, maybe less than that. Wow. So it's not one of the big groups that we belong to, like R1B or J2, which I'm a, which I'm, I'm a J2, or J1 or, or, um, or G2. These are groups that the Armenians tend to be much more significant numbers. Um, however, the I2s that they did uh, test among the Armenians, tend to belong to certain royal families. Uh, the Bagratunis are I2s, which would suggest that it's possible that some of our royal families did descend from these Mushkis, or possibly Phrygians, if you will, Phrygian colonists from the West. Maybe not from Europe, but maybe from what is now central Turkey. Uh, Phrygia and Armenia shared a common border for centuries and centuries, and all the Phrygians themselves died out somewhere between the 5th and 9th century AD, the Armenians continued on. And it is postulated that the Phrygians themselves assimilated into other cultures, including the Armenians. But they don't seem to have made such a huge impact as to have been a huge genetic part. That being said, we may get some of our linguistic stuff from them, just because only a small amount of us come from possibly Balkan background doesn't mean that we didn't get some of the language from it. It's possible, but it's, even that hasn't been fully proven. Well, um, could that could that also contribute to Armenian kingdom that wanted 
like peace with a Balkan type of country, and they married their uh, son to their princess or something like that. They did that uh, plenty back then as well. That that, that yes, could have it, interrelated with that as well. It could very well have related with it. I mean, we know for a fact that the Armenians' connection to the Persian Empire for centuries and centuries um, made a lot of linguistics believe for many years that the, that the Armenian language was an, was an Indo-Iranian language. And though it is related to Indo-Iranian, it is not from there. It's just that they have so many shared words and borrowings from sharing border for so many centuries that they became linguistically even closer than they were before. Um, this could be very true of the Phrygians as well. You share a border with somebody, you're going to share a lot of isms with them. Um, the, uh, the really interesting thing in the, in the, in the turnout with overall DNA research is that, yes, we have found this small Balkan component, but it can't even be fully ascribed as Balkan. Some people believe the I2Cs came from what is now the area of the Khazars, north of the Caspian Sea. Some people believe the I2Cs to be from the Germanic homeland as far as Central Europe, even much further into Europe, or, or Scandinavia. Um, there's a lot of evidence for the I2Cs having come from the Middle East originally, and then pushing out. In fact, the most generally accepted theory at this point is that they originally started somewhere near the Armenian highland, went up to the Balkans, and then went back to the Armenian highland again, which is quite possible given the way that these migrations go over thousands and thousands of years. But the most interesting modern thing that we have as a result um, to go by um, in terms of where did we come from um, is, is the idea that uh, now that we have the DNA record, we can go back and say exactly when these DNA groups mutated and when they first mixed with one another. And what we have found is that the Armenian cultural mass, the, you know, and we've only tested, you know, a lot of Armenians have taken the DNA test, but of course it's only a small segment of the overall population. But what we have found from the Armenians that have been tested, and every type basically has been tested. I mean, you can talk Western Armenians, Eastern Armenians, Armenians from almost every corner of the globe have been tested. And what they've found is that they do represent a mix. The Armenians themselves, we, we are a, a Creole group, if you will. However, the mix that we belong to is a, a very ancient Bronze Age mix that happened around the time, a little bit before the time that we're, we've been talking about in this study. And uh, two really remarkable things about that are that, for one, it turns out that anywhere between 85 and 95 percent of Armenian DNA is indigenous to the Armenian highland. It's pretty good, supportable information and, and evidence to show that it seems that we, along with the Assyrians, um, seem to be the two most autochthonous West Asian groups. In other words, mm -hmm. we seem to be the two, the two West Asian groups that are the most indigenous to West Asia and have the least amount of mixing from outside of West Asia. There is mixing, but the groups that are not indigenously West Asian within our genetic chain are so old and have been there for so long that you could almost consider that last little 10% to be from West Asia too. That's how indigenous our DNA is to the Armenian highland, which is quite gratifying for us as Armenians. It, it turns out that there is no major genetic um, chain to, to show that we came from Europe, that, that uh, quite the opposite is actually true, that a lot of our groups eventually branched out from the Armenian highland and populated po large parts of Europe. So that's one really interesting part. And the other interesting part is that we always heard the story about Ike defeated Bell in 2492 B.C. Yeah, his brother. Yeah, right. And that this was a this was a year that historians have been giving no credence to 
whatsoever because they said there's no way it's possible. There's not really enough of an Armenian archaeological record around 2492 to really give this any major credence. Although some writers used to used to give it complete credence in the 19th century. By the 20th century, it was considered a, a fable. You know, 2492 is a myth. You know, it's a, it couldn't have been it couldn't have been that old. Um, they got the years wrong, or they made it up, or something. It has some connection to, to Noah's Ark or the Bible, and they were trying to connect it to the Bible. Well, what turns out is that we found, um, although you can't, uh, you know, definitely state that Hike was a living person, he lived, and da 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 da, but you can say that we have found that these groups that the Armenian, the, the Armenian Highland groups that I was just mentioning to you that were mixed, that they basically mixed together and became one, one race their mix sort of consolidated around the year 2500 BC. And the genetic record is to back this up. We have the DNA record to back this up. So basically all the different groups that we belong to started stratifying and, and stabilizing, if you will, around the year 2500 BC. That's eight years. I mean, that's basically 2492 BC. So, Wherever we got that information, there is, whether it's Moses Coronazzi or wherever, whatever historian first postulated that, there is now to be a modicum of genetic truth to be associated with that. And, and now we don't have to worry about linguistics, pottery, or any of this nice. stuff that is tendentious. It's tendentious and one-sided at best. You can't tell who made what. You can't tell from linguistic. Linguistic evidence can only go so far, and it cannot give you ethnicity because lots of people speak the same language of different ethnic group. So we're finally finding that, you know, yes, we may have not all come from the same ancestor, but we did all stratify as the same race around the same time that we were supposedly founding our nation. And so it's really And it also helps out spiritually as well. I mean the the whole religious spectrum to it. Yes, absolutely. And you know, there are oftentimes you can you can connect a lot of the the people that the Hebrews were talking about as giants or gods or or warlords or whatever in the Old Testament can correspond to various tribes that existed in the Armenian highland at that time. (laughs) For instance, Meshech from the Bible can very easily be connected to the Mushki, who we we just talked about. and uh, and and there's many other examples. Tubal is connected with central Anatolia. Togarma is connected with Armenia. Um, Ashkenaz is connected with the Scythians and the Phrygians. Uh, Gomer is connected with the Cimmerians. All of these groups crossed through or lived in the Armenian highland at this time. Oh, wow. And they're all epitomized in... Um, in the Bible, in the Hebrew sources, as sons of Japheth or sons of um, one of the sons of Noah, either uh, you know Shem's sons, Ham's sons, or Japheth's sons, and they're known as giants in these stories. So, you know, um, and they really can be equivocated to historical races or historical tribes at this hmm. time. Um, it really goes back to the whole Old Testament being really a king's list in a lot of ways, a tribal king's list of of of, uh, of of the region of the middle, the greater Middle East in general. But but some really interesting stuff that the DNA record has has finally um, shed for us, and there's still so much more to go because we still have so much more to dig up and so much more to find out. But it's we're we're getting more and more legitimate. Re- ways to to figure out this information with all that we've lost as a race from the 
insurrections and invasions over and over again. It's really nice to know that there's a record that couldn't be completely wiped out, and that's the human record, the genetic record, that has given us our sort of salvation, as you put it, our... Um, it answered the question. We, yeah. yeah, the foundation. We, I think that most Armenians want to say that we came from the Armenian highland. I don't think we want to consider ourselves migrants or invaders. And right. although there is definitely some genetic evidence for some invaders and some migrants, the overwhelming genetic record shows that we are the autochthonous aboriginal people of West Asia. Nice, nice. That's the way I want it, too. You know, I've heard so many... Uh... Uh, people too nowadays uh, ha- have us like uh, being the grand descendants of uh, I, that's for a different Danny Bedrosian uh, uh, podcast show but uh, the French uh, we have uh, colonized in France and we have uh, colonized in Britain too in, in, in England they have a, a scroll that mentions Armenia on there yeah. so uh, you know yeah. I, i'd love to i'd love the, uh your input on that one of these days too that that that's a great uh topic to i mean it's controversial in a sense right there yep uh, we'll do we'll do that one one of the next ones we'll do for armenian origins we'll do the uh the proto-celtic migration of the Cimmerians and the scythians and their their migration westward through armenia and into europe during the iron age because oh, it has it a lot of stuff about the Western Europeans claiming uh, kingship from the from Armenia in days of old. It's very, very interesting topic it. as well. I love it. Thank you so much, Danny. That's Danny yes. Bedrosian, my friends. Uh, the man on a uh, he's now resting from a tour. Are, are you guys just a uh, couple of weeks and then you're out out about again doing it all yeah, over again? Uh, just a, a couple of days actually. But uh, but if I can do if I can do a quick. Uh, uh, a quick um, shout out, yes, yeah, quick, yeah. Uh, I have a new album that just came out. Uh, my band Secret Army, our eighth album, is called Eight Finity, and it features a lot of the guys in P Funk as well as George Clinton himself. Just came out a couple days ago, and people can get it by sending uh, twenty five dollars domestically or thirty five dollars internationally to my PayPal, and that's info at dannybedrosian dot com. Okay, and they they can find us on your site as well. Yes. Yep. It just came out in physical. It hasn't come out digital yet. It'll be out digitally in about a couple weeks. Uh, but you can order your copy today by by sending it to my PayPal. Okay. And uh, Brian, what we need to do is uh, Daniel probably have that on his Facebook site. We'll grab that and we'll link it onto our site. We will link on it on Toast Armenia, and we'll get that out as well. I, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna buy one. Why the hell not? Great. That'd be great. Awesome. Yeah. Thank Can't you. Wait. Appreciate Can't it. Wait. All right, Danny. Thank you so much. And uh, hey, if uh, if we don't meet till uh, Thanksgiving, uh, happy Thanksgiving. But uh, hopefully, we can uh, do another show before then too, because I no, we, really am interested in that topic. Oh no, we're going to do more definitely before then. If if you guys will have me. Oh, uh, it'd be our privilege, man. We we'd love to have you on. It's it's our honor to have you on our show. And the uh, the stuff that I learned from uh, you, pal, it's it's unbelievable. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, John. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate you guys. All right. All right, folks, that's Danny Bedrosian. And do do get on our page. And uh, on this episode, we'll have a link on there for Danny Bedrosian's uh, music as well. So I'd love to get you guys to buy, uh, what is this, a CD? Or is it a download? 
Yep, CD. Download coming soon. CD now. CD now. All right. Thanks yep. a lot, Dane. We'll definitely get that out. Take care. Thank you, guys. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. Another great show, my friend. Fantastic. Brian, that was great. I love it. That was great. We had Sergey. We had Danny. I, I tell you, and and folks, uh, Jono's going into Hall of Fame tonight, too. Yes. I, I'm really excited about it. <laughs> All right. So thank you so much. Genatsu Kishet Party. We'll see you next week. Tune in next week for another episode of A Toast to Armenia with Jono Kabinjian. Find the show online at armeniaproud.com and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and all major podcast outlets. Join the conversation at facebook.com slash armeniaproud or Twitter at armeniaproud. Get all of our podcasts now at lineupmedia.fm. This podcast was a presentation of lightupmedia.fm.